Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey people, it's Hillary, and what you're about to hear today is a little different from our usual format, and it's also very special. First, we're going to dig way back into our archives to 2014 and play you a show that I made 190 episodes ago. It was episode 28, and it's called The Missing Chapter to Ina May's Guide. Then we're going to play you an update to that story, and guys... I have been crossing my fingers for five years that this update would happen. It's an update that's personally meaningful to me, and I hope it will be to you too. Also, a quick note on language. When you hear me talk about natural birth, what I mean is birth without surgery or medication. I've never loved the term natural because it implies that some births are unnatural. But this is the term that people were using back when I first made this episode. So that is what you'll hear me say. Okay, here we go. The missing chapter to Ina May's guide. A year ago, I was a guest on a live call-in show. Welcome, I'm Holly Kernan, and this is Your Call. That day on Your Call, Holly was discussing choices in childbirth. Holly gave birth in 1999, and like me, she wanted to do it naturally. And then the actual day comes, and it is nothing like I've imagined or planned for. It seems like every device in the hospital is attached to me, and I am being pumped full of drugs. I am throwing up purple Kool-Aid and begging for an epidural. Half a day later, thanks to a cesarean, I gratefully meet a healthy baby girl. And yet, I feel like I've failed somehow, like I wasn't strong enough to resist the painkillers, like I copped out and had a cesarean. That feeling of failure is so familiar to me. It's something I've talked about a lot on this podcast. And if you don't know my story, um, basically, I I wanted a natural childbirth, but wound up with a series of interventions, um, an IV drip, Pitocin, an epidural, and finally an episiotomy, which came apart and needed to be recut and stitched a week later. So um, failure. It's something I felt really strongly after childbirth, and it's something that many of you have told me that you've felt too. There are a lot of complicated reasons why I feel like I failed, but one of them has to do with the way that the natural childbirth community talks about birth without drugs or surgery. They call it normal. They say that, yes, it can hurt, but with that pain can come ecstasy, you know, that that it can even be orgasmic. They tell us that with qualified care, most of us can have a physiologic birth, 
Because, um, they say, most of the time, birth is not an emergency. Birth is not an, even an illness. This is Maria Iarillo, another guest on your call the day I was on the show. She's been a home birth midwife for nearly three decades. And um, she said something I've heard a lot from the natural childbirth movement, that most of us would be able to do it naturally if we just took fear out of the equation. Fear of pain, fear of, you know, complication, fear of some, um, you know, um, birth being this life-threatening act every single time someone has a baby. When Maria said that, I was sitting here on the phone in my office listening to her, waiting for my turn to speak and just absolutely seething, you know, just wanting to yell into the phone. But childbirth is an emergency. It is something to fear. You know, it, it can mess up your body. It can mess up your mind. Most of all, I just felt like she was not listening to me and to Holly, the host of the show, when we said that not being able to do it naturally made us feel like failures. You know, I just I just felt like she was skipping over that and um, talking about the benefits of home birth. Finally, I couldn't stand it any longer, and I jumped in. And uh, Holly, can I add something? Sure. So uh, this Maria, is Hillary, right? Yes, this is Hillary. Maria, I have a question for you because so I. I totally respect what midwives do and um, love the, like all the rhetoric behind it, but I also feel like it sort of sets us up, those of us who can't achieve a natural childbirth, I feel like it sets us up to um, feel like we failed if we can't achieve it. And I yeah. wonder, like, is there a way to kind of let people know, like, how, how can we make... Um, mothers feel like it's okay no matter what happens. Yeah. I think that's a really great, because both you and I, Hillary, had those kinds of experience mm-hmm. of we just failed, we did yeah. this wrong. Yeah. You know, we have definitely heard, unfortunately, you know, this sort of elitism of the home birth community, you know, that you have to have the candlelight and the water birth and, you know, the beautiful baby with the Bear 10 rug. <laughs> Synthetic. Right, right. And of course, that's not going to happen for... Um, Probably the majority of people, it's not going to happen um, like that. But my, my only thing is that is that we, I think that the home birth community had to fight so hard to establish our position in the world and to, you know, kind of passionately for me to fight for my um, clients that they're it engendered this sort of rigid um, sort of philosophy around it. Maria went on to talk about how home birth used to be illegal in California where she practices, but now it's not. And so she feels like she doesn't have to be as defensive about her work. And that, she said, is making her feel like maybe the community could ease up a little bit on their message, which was an amazing thing to hear a home birth midwife say. But still, I I felt like she wasn't directly addressing me and Holly and people like us. You know, I wanted her to tell me how the natural birth movement could change its message to include those of us who wanted natural births and came out traumatized. I realized, though, that it wasn't Maria I was mad at. It was the whole culture that Maria represents, you know, the whole natural birth industry. And maybe the person I was really mad at was the person who spawned the movement to begin with. Well, this is the longest, shortest time I'm Hillary Frank, and today on our show... Ina May Gaskin. Ina May Gaskin is the midwife who wrote the manifesto that a generation of Marias have been following since the 70s. 
It's called um, spiritual midwifery. If you've ever wanted a natural childbirth, you have probably read that book or one of her others, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. Ina May Gaskin, thank you so much for um, being a guest on The Longest Shortest Time. I'm glad I could be here. The big thing um, that I think Ina May's books have done for me and for a lot of women is to set us up to have unrealistic expectations of childbirth. I had a lot of questions for her about that. So we'll start with a TED Talk she did last year called Reducing Fear of Birth in U.S. Culture. Here's a clip. And to women, I'm always saying, like, remember your sense of humor. Even just a bitty smile is going to help because that's going to make some neuroendorphin for you. Anything gets easier with a smile. I, I hear that, and I wonder, how could I have possibly smiled at it when I, when I was in so much pain? And I guess if you're feeling fear, how do, how do you make yourself not feel something? And, and also, why try to prevent it? Okay. Um, about fear. Um, fear in Fear of labor and birth has, interestingly, I think, increased as this— the cesarean rate and induction rates have risen. Uh, I don't think women are uh, used to be as afraid of birth or to the degree they are fear of pain as I remember people being in my generation uh, when the C-section rate was much lower. So people approach birth in a more fearful way, and this kind of makes it harder to give birth. So... I'm not saying that um, it's a bad thing to be afraid, but it's a good thing to know how to deal with it when you feel it, because almost every woman, uh, including those that have a very short labor, uh, can can have some moments of stark terror, all right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there can't be somebody there to calm the woman, and there are some good techniques for doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're telling women, uh, like, if, you, if you're feeling fearful, then you're doing it wrong. Of course not. No, it's, it's to be expected. Okay, now, this shocked me. I was not expecting someone so reasonable. She was not the my way or the highway type I was picturing. It turns out Ina May is no stranger to fear. Her books and, and all of her activism is actually motivated by her own fear she gave birth in a different era when there weren't as many C-sections, but there were all kinds of other concerns, things that scared her. I was so afraid of having the kind of birth the doctor had prescribed for me, which was I was going to have to have forceps because it was my first baby. And I thought, that's crazy. And then they, he didn't explain the anesthesia didn't explain anything. So it was really quite scary when they came for me all masked up. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, think of women who want a labor free of medical interventions. Um, they, they think of those women as people who are trying to prove something, like, you know, trying to be a martyr and prove that they can take the pain. Um, and I've heard a lot of women say, well, you know, I wouldn't turn down pain medication at the dentist, so why would I when I'm having a baby? And I wonder, what, what is your response to that? Well, if, you, if you're having something done at the dentist, you know, you, well, we, know, we all know that can be really painful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
One of those women that you may be talking about that doesn't want pain intervention is because she's afraid. She's afraid of the pain medication. That's the way I was. I was scared of that needle and what this might do to my back and would I stay paralyzed. So, you know, come at me with a needle and you're going to put it near my spine. I'm scared. Uh-huh. Uh, come at me with a needle when you're taking out my wisdom teeth. Thank you. <laughs> People can have different fears based upon who knows. Um, and now I think a lot of women um, have the fear of the, of the pain that is so fierce. And, and with some women, it's, it is, you know, I, I read your account of what mm. your your birth was like, and you had your your occiput posterior baby. That means my baby was facing up instead of down. And you weren't, as I understood it, restricted in the position you you could take in labor. Right. Um, but it really hurt. That's right. <laughs> okay. And I don't know. Did it hurt in between contractions too? It. Um... No, you know what? It actually felt manageable until I was given Pitocin, and then it became unmanageable. And oh, that's well, when I okay. needed. That's when I needed the epidural. Was once I had gotten the Pitocin. And Hillary, that is such a familiar story. Pitocin is the drug form of oxytocin, and oxytocin is a hormone, um, sometimes called the love hormone because we produce it during long hugs and during sex and especially when we're in labor. It's the hormone that helps labor progress as long as our adrenaline levels aren't too high, you know, as long as we're not too scared. Okay, even a woman who's been quite scared for a, a while can enter a calm state and then she can go, oh, I get it. Now, let's say she's in a hospital and the decision is made now we need to you to go faster. We we're going to give you some pitocin because you're you're not dilating fast enough. This is happens pretty frequently. Now you've got a different pattern of labor where you don't get the breaks in between the contractions where the pain goes away. Okay? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I had like ten minute it's long contractions. Yes, and it's very 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 painful. And you don't have those rest periods. Neither does the baby. By the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the uterus kind of stays in a state of contraction even between so-called contractions. And it's a rare woman that can deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Right there, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking, yes, she's opened the door for me. When we come back, I charge through that door, swinging. Stay with us. <laughs> Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
We're back with my 2014 interview with Ina May Gaskin. When we left off, I was ready to tell Ina May what was really on my mind, to critique the message she spent her life spreading all over the world. This is so interesting talking to you because, um, you know, I, I was incredibly scared, uh, you know, almost as soon as I got pregnant of, of childbirth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I told my midwife that, and she recommended that I, re- that I read your books. And they made me feel strong and empowered. And I, I went in and I did, like, I, I believed I was strong and that I could do mm-hmm. it and, and I'd be able to do it without intervention. And then, and, you know, you read my, my story and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I ultimately did need all of, I, I got all of these interventions, um, whether or not I needed them, I guess is mm-hmm. <laughs> up for uh, debate, but, um, but I got them. And, and in the end, I, I felt like I had failed. You know, I felt mm-hmm. like, I felt like I, I thought I could do it. I believed I could do it and I couldn't. And it felt like, you know, doing it naturally felt like something to achieve. And looking mm-hmm. back at those mm-hmm. books, I've got to admit, I felt upset. I felt like mm-hmm. angry. There's, Ina May doesn't have any, anything to tell me about what happens when you can't do it. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I got some of that kind of feedback too when I put out the first book. But um, sometimes I think about it. What if we just told people that it always really, really, really hurts? Hmm. Well, that wouldn't be very good <laughs> because um, you get everybody so frightened that, you know, you get people that actively want cesareans. And this is not good because you, you know, too much surgery doesn't have good results. And you, just the same way that not enough surgery doesn't yield good results. On the other hand, if you lead women to think that any woman can have a birth without pain, uh, that's a big lie. Also not true. Okay. So, like that, I got to stop you for a second because that just that feels like an amazing thing to hear you say. Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I, I was under this impression, and maybe it was the wrong impression that um, that that you believed that all women could have like a, a if not a pain free labor, then at least like a relaxed labor. No, I. I I probably need to write some more stuff <laughs> if I left you with that impression. No, not everybody has a great time. You know, sometimes it's really rugged. It's really hard. Like, what do you what do you have? What words do you have to offer people like me? First, one thing is that you're not alone if you experienced a lot of pain and, and, and you felt like you failed. I mean, there are so many women that feel that way. And maybe it was because of of expectations that were on the unrealistic side, that it would be possible because you did everything right, everything the book told you, and then you still had pain, and then you feel like you weren't correctly advised or, you know, you were misled somehow. And and then if you need to be, you know, uh, angry with me or, or upset with me that I didn't write it to include that, I'll I'll take that feedback because mm-hmm. I really wouldn't want to mislead anybody into thinking that I judge people about uh, how well they did. I don't think you judge in the book. It's just that you present it as such a, like an intoxicating uh, way of having a baby that if you don't achieve that, then it feels like there's nothing else. Okay. No, that's that's helpful. 
what you just said because uh, that you know that is so unnecessary. And uh, I know in in counseling some of the women that I've helped who did end up with a cesarean um, and experienced that sense of failure um, temporarily, that I was able to, in working with them to go, no, we pick it up here. You don't judge yourself if you're if you're thinking that it was something you did wrong. It it wasn't. All I have to say here is wow. I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me I shouldn't feel like a failure over how childbirth went for me. And when I've heard that, I've always just kind of nodded, but not felt much differently about it. But somehow having Ina Mae Gaskin, the mother of all midwives, tell me this actually had a huge impact on me. And I think it's because I finally saw her not just as a public figure, but as a person with an actual life. You know, I I got why when she was a hippie living on school buses, she was considered the best at calming down the other hippie moms, you know, when, when they were having babies on the school buses. And I got why she became the leader of the farm, you know, the midwifery center she runs on a commune in Tennessee. Here I was criticizing her, and and she was calming me down. And I think I realized Ina May's message is not about offering a prescription for every woman. It's about something I can relate to so deeply. It's about a legitimate sadness in her life that comes from things not going the way she wanted them to when she had her first baby, which is something that came up in another part of our interview. Can we talk about the golden hour? Let's do, yeah. The golden hour is what midwives call the hour immediately following the baby's birth. It happens to be easier for the baby and the mother to get the hang of breastfeeding if they are not separated during that hour. That's well demonstrated in just great quantities of research. And people who take care of any kind of livestock or any kind of mammals, people in zoos, they know that it's critical not to separate the mother and the newborns, or the mother probably won't mother the newborns if they're separated in that hour. And to some degree, to some degree, that that can be a factor in human behavior too. And I say to some degree because we have lots and lots and you know tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of women who were excellent mothers despite having been separated from their babies. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because um, so my daughter was separated from me immediately. Like we we met each other momentarily, and she was rushed off to the NICU for mm-hmm. um, meconium aspiration. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I didn't get to have my golden hour, and that was something, you know, I had put, mm-hmm. you know, down as my my birth wishes that, that mm-hmm. I wanted to have that. Um, and I, I've heard people say, you know, that, that how critical that hour is and that it can impact your relationship with your child for, forever. And I, there are times when um, I'm having, you know, an intense conflict my daughter, and I honestly will think, oh, it's because we didn't get our golden hour. You nah, because nah. people that got their golden hour might have intense conflicts with their children too. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> so, that, you know, I've heard people yeah. use your name that way, and to say like, you know, Ina Mae Gaskin says that this is um, this is a critical time, and that you you must have it. Um, and I just wonder, are people misunderstanding you? 
yeah, I think that people do take things to extremes and, and that things that I would qualify maybe get quoted in a way that the qualification is quite gone. I do think that I was one of the people whose mothering was impacted by mm. early separation with my daughter. I didn't have confidence at all that I was up to taking care of the baby who had been kept from me through the whole five-day hospital stay, except for those few times when they bring her to me for breastfeeding. And, and you think it played out in your relationship throughout her life? Oh, absolutely. It did It did with me. Now, I know a lot of women who aren't that way. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard to generalize about women, Hillary, because we're so all over the place. And and that's why it's so tricky to, to um, you know, talk about birth and these experiences. But it's so important that we do because the more different kinds of stories we hear, um, we we get an idea more of what, you know, might help or not. Of all the things that Ina Mae Gaskin said to surprise me, this was maybe the biggest surprise. You know, that that basically her mission and my mission are the same, that she's not only interested in talking about one kind of childbirth or mothering experience, but in the amazing variety in those experiences, even the ones that are the complete opposite of the ones she talks about in her books. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, maybe there should be another chapter for your book. What what would that chapter look like? Like, what what is the next message from the natural childbirth movement that could help people like us who wanted wow. it your way? Wow. Well, um, that's really a good question, Hillary. And you're going to get, you know, it, it won't be a chapter to that book. It would probably <laughs> have to be a whole new one. But you're giving me all kinds of ideas, and I'm starting to think that this is really, really needed, you know, because I know a lot of women do go through it. Okay, hi, it's me again in the present, and this is where we ended the episode back in 2014. Soon after it aired, Ina Mae emailed me. She asked me to collect comments from you guys so she could see how moms these days respond to her books, and you all really showed up. We got nearly 400 comments on that post. Ina Mae read through them, and she even followed up with some of you. Oh, it was hugely helpful because uh, I've always been aware that I've seen birth in an extraordinarily rare kind of context. I mean, in just the time when I began in midwifery and then how much change there's been in the 45 years since. I mean, it's it's like another world. I mean, I, I wrote Spiritual Midwifery in All Innocence. I mean, what did I know? How many times was I in a hospital? Hardly ever. A couple years after our first interview aired, Ina Mae wrote to me. She said she was, in fact, revising her second book, Ina Mae's Guide to Childbirth, and that our conversation and your comments really motivated her to get started. She actually holed herself up in a cabin in the woods to focus on her writing. She told me she was so energized, she was waking up at 2 or 3 in the morning to jot down ideas. And now, five years after our first conversation, the revised book is out. If you buy a new copy of Ina Mae's Guide, there's a big orange circle on the front that says completely revised and updated. Pretty cool, right? In a minute, Ina Mae will share some of the updates she made, changes that might help whether you give birth in a tub or on an operating table. Don't go away. Advertisements. <laughs> Summer. 
the best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Guys, to celebrate the end of our nearly 10-year run, We've got a special discount code just for you for all Longest Shortest Time merch. This code is going to work on everything in our shop. We've got weird parenting wins books signed by me, pins drawn by New Yorker cartoonist Emily Flake. We've got our ginormous Longest Shortest Time tote bag. It is so big and so awesome and so perfect for the beach. Let's be thinking of warmer weather together, okay? (laughs) So... Go visit our store at podswag.com slash longshort to get 20% off all merch with the code SOLONGLST. That's S-O-L-O-N-G-L-S-T for 20% off. We are back. And before we get to Ina May's revisions, I want to talk about the comments we got on that first episode with her. You guys had a lot to say. Many of you shared your entire birth story with us in detail. More than 100 of you used the words failed or failure. Not having my ideal birth was something I struggled with a lot during my first pregnancy. My mother and sister both had natural childbirths, and due to a placenta previa, I had to have a scheduled C-section. A placenta previa is when your placenta implants on your uterus covering the exit, basically, and so the baby can't move out of the womb naturally. I cried for days when I found out because I felt like I had failed the first test of motherhood. This listener, Kathleen, said that like me, natural birth books contributed to her sense of failure. She had read about how important it was for babies to pass through the birth canal to pick up immunities. The books also warned Kathleen that having a C-section would mean she'd struggle with breastfeeding. Kathleen says, nope, breastfeeding went just fine for her. The vast majority of your comments echoed Kathleen's. You felt that the books were unnecessarily fear-mongery. But we also heard from a good number of you with a different point of view. Like one listener named Sarah. Sarah is a doula and a childbirth educator. And her comment reflected what I heard from several people in the natural birth community or moms who had positive birth experiences. You were mad at me for getting mad at Ina May. Here, I'll read part of Sarah's comment. She says... Of course, Ina May doesn't place a strong emphasis on the fact that sometimes it doesn't happen, sometimes women can't handle it, or that sometimes it all goes to shit, because there's enough of that out there, more than enough. Her purpose was to inform, to motivate, to encourage, to build up, to reveal the potential of the beauty and power and joy of birth. If she ended every chapter with a disclaimer that said, but of course, some women aren't up to it. Some women's bodies won't cooperate, and some of you won't be able to defend yourself against an aggressive delivery staff and will feel like victims later. It would absolutely destroy that message of hope, of potential, of options for the rest of us out there. Well, I think that birth, like anything else in life, has uh, a level of unpredictability, and so... It's good to always have a little caveat in mind that no matter how perfectly 
well you prepared, um, sometimes things happen that you wish hadn't. When I followed up with Ina May, she was in the middle of revisions, and she says she understands where people like Sarah are coming from. But she also thinks that freshening up her message is a good thing. We don't have to be afraid of a few words reminding that, you know, in some ways this thing of giving birth is, as one of your commenters said, a kind of crapshoot, you know? It's like some people are luckier than others. The big change overall to Ina May's guide is that it really feels like Ina May is speaking to both the lucky and the unlucky. The entire book is now sprinkled with caveats that, taken together, totally change its tone. There are all these little lines like, out of hospital birth does not rule out hospital transfer. And there are many good reasons for choosing to give birth in a hospital. We need obstetricians. We need the, you know, we have to have them. We have to have cesareans. We have to have epidurals. We need the people that do it to be good at it. So we shouldn't demonize, okay, them, nor should we have a certain tone of voice when we say those words, because sometimes an epidural is exactly what a woman needs to have the labor that enables her to have a vaginal birth and to be able to avoid a cesarean quite safely. Sometimes a woman who's been laboring for, I don't know, 48 or 36 hours, she needs to go to sleep. And some of them will not be able to go to sleep until they get an epidural. So I bring the people to the hospital sometimes so they can have an epidural, so they can have a vaginal birth. Of course, not everyone should have a vaginal birth. C-sections can save lives. And actually, in episode 27, I wondered whether I would have been better off with a C-section. In that show, I talked about a paper that helped me to understand when C-sections are medically necessary. It was a joint statement put out by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. The paper is called Safe Prevention of the Primary Cesarean Delivery. And the statement basically says that cesareans can and should be prevented far more often in the United States. After reading it, I determined that my midwife was right. I was not someone who needed a cesarean. When Ina May read the statement, she had another takeaway. It shows how much obstetricians who are on the side of women and babies very strongly, you know, have listened to women. Ina May was surprised to find that this report, written by doctors, made all kinds of recommendations to nudge hospitals into reducing their cesarean rates. I'm so encouraged by that statement. It's a powerful tool, and it... um, it shows a, a willingness to work together that I didn't think I'd ever see. In the new version of her book, Ina May suggests that if you're shopping for an OB, you should ask every doctor you interview this question. Are you familiar with the document that came out, The Safe Prevention of the Primary Cesarean Delivery? See if they've read it. See if they've really absorbed it. There's just tons of good information in there that's very up-to-date, very powerful evidence. And if enough women can be organized to do that, we can make good change happen. I agree. It's a good question to ask your doctor. But keep in mind, that document came out five years ago, and the cesarean rate in North America is still about twice what it should be. So when you're in labor and your doctor is telling you you need an emergency C-section— How do you know if that's actually true? 
One thing you can do is read Ina May's new writing on cesareans. It's a whole section where she lists one by one all the indisputable reasons why someone would need a cesarean and all the reasons that are more fuzzy. This is amazing info to have at your fingertips. I really recommend that all pregnant people at least skim these pages. It's the beginning of chapter 11. And at the very least, put the book in your go bag. That way, your birth partner or your doula can help you assess your options if you're told you need a cesarean for one of the more questionable reasons, like fetal distress or failure to progress. And if it's an indisputable reason, you can feel at peace knowing that this surgery is saving your life or the baby's or both. Okay, moving on to the next big change in the book. You guys know how I feel about the term the golden hour. Ina May noticed that a lot of you brought up the golden hour in your comments, too. People talked about the golden hour as if that was some kind of a magical thing. And, and um, that kind of phrasing, I think, is, is not very helpful, okay? Ina May's update on this really blew me away. She writes, The golden hour is a phrase that I could do without because it makes it sound as if bad things automatically happen if temporary separation places you and your baby in different places for a long time. This is simply not true. Okay, this is me talking now. Doulas, midwives, and childbirth educators, anyone who has been using golden hour to describe the time immediately following birth, I hope you're listening. Ina Mae Gaskin is telling you, stop saying it. In fact, Ina Mae has a whole new section in her book called When Separation of Your Baby and You is Necessary, in which she assures us, quote, newborn complications can happen no matter how perfectly you behave throughout your pregnancy. It isn't necessary or helpful to blame anyone, including yourself, when this happens or to feel that the two of you will be less close with each other because you missed something too special to ever be replaced. Perhaps your baby's in the NICU and not with you, and now you feel like, oh, you failed the first test of motherhood, and the world seems very dark. There are several new pages in Ina May's guide about postpartum depression. Of course, Ina May was well aware that this is something lots of people go through after childbirth. But reading your comments really opened her eyes to what a widespread and devastating problem it is. I mean, some of the language just, oh, it hurt to hear. I failed my first test of motherhood. I go, no, you didn't. Yeah, no, you didn't. And um, in our culture, I think that we just don't take note of how overwhelmingly alone you can feel if you are alone there in your house, your baby was awake all night, your bottom hurts or your whatever hurts, your cesarean scar. There's lots of uh, ways that you can feel isolated and scared, even scared of your baby. And this can happen even if you had the most perfect birth. And for those of you who do feel like you had the most perfect birth, like you want to go out in public and tell people all about it, Ina May has some new words in her book for you as well. My advice, she writes, be grateful that you can even consider such a mad impulse and then forget about it. Comparing birth experiences is not productive, Ina May says. Instead, Focus on bonding with your baby and on recuperating from childbirth, physically and mentally, and on finding whatever help you need to do those things, even if it means making an I'm mad at Ina May t-shirt, like one commenter said she wanted to do. 
I said, that was healthier for her than if she'd been mad at her body. Anger is a motivating emotion, and it can help a woman not sink into a really deep, dark depression, okay? What, what, did, what helped you the most to get out of the funk that you were in? Hmm. Well, a combination of things. The, the best thing, I think, was pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a combination of that and seeing a specialist who was able to like physically help me um, get out of the the pain that I was in. Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, cognitive behavioral therapy immediately after the birth was really helpful. Talking to other moms who have been through similar situations. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, like talking to you and having you be so open-minded and assure me that, you know, it wasn't my fault and just assure me that I was still strong, mm-hmm. even if it didn't work out the way I had hoped. That was tremendously helpful. Good. And you're help and you're helping other people too, which is I, I think there must be some satisfaction in that. So Oh, definitely. No, it's it's very that's very cathartic and healing. And so yeah. so I'll say that to you. You've helped me. I know I think that I'll certainly say you I think it's it's a better book because I got this feedback. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That means a lot. Good. You guys, the revisions in Ina May's Guide to Childbirth are monumental. I'm so grateful to Ina May for writing them and to you for helping to make these changes possible. I hope that they help any of you out there who are pregnant right now or will be in the future. I hope they help generations of new parents. We want to hear if Ina May's revisions mean something to you. Leave a comment in the post for this episode. That's episode 218. We also have links there to the rest of our three-part series on natural birth from five years ago, and a link to a documentary about Ina May, where you can watch a 10-pound baby being born out of an unmedicated mom. I wish they'd shown me that in my birth class instead of the one with the nervous husband constantly showing his wife a picture of their cat. Anyone else see that one? It was super weird. This episode was produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Jackie Sajiko. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineer is Pete Karam. Blake Osborne recorded Ina May's side of the conversation. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Alex Bloomberg edited the original version of this episode, and we also had help from Paula Schumann, Bill O'Neill, Ron Jagger, and Mary Wigmore. Next week, guys, it's our final episode, the very last one, and it's going to feel like a big party, and you, my friend, you are invited. I don't want to give too much away, but I'll play you a little tease, just because you're awesome and you deserve it. Oh, you need some help from Dr. Sock. Indeed, I will help you. I am an expert in socks. I know exactly what to do to fix this problem. How could you not want to party with Dr. Sock? Don't overthink it. Just join us next week. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now.
treasure. <sighs> I say it. Okay. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.